and welcome to the second episode of the Nurture Podcast. Each week we'll be focusing on one of the six principles of nurture to help embed them into your mind and daily practice. Today we'll be discussing how a child's learning is understood developmentally. The other five principles are language is understood as a vital means of communication, all behaviour is communication, transitions are significant in the lives of children, nurture is important for the development of well-being and finally as we discussed in our last episode the environment offers a safe base. So how does all this relate to you? Well, we can provide all these things to children in our classrooms. We can start by modelling kindness consistently. And by doing so, we can teach young people a way, perhaps a new way, of reacting. Emotions are normal and we can't always be joyful. However, we can be kind, even in times of adversity. Some children won't have experienced much kindness. And you may have noticed some of your learners who are a bit unsure about what to do with kind reactions or don't really know how to react themselves when things go wrong. Therefore, it's our job to demonstrate kind reactions and show our young people how to be kind to others. That way, everyone feels like they belong. We can also allow children to fail and teach them how to cope with failure. Some children and adults will find that difficult, especially if someone else appears to be winning We do know, however, that this learning teaches resilience. It gives a starting point for the next time they fail. We all fail, but we need to teach explicitly that that's okay. And in failure, we learn things. Consequently, this will help our young people to feel secure and it will encourage them to try new things, even if they're scared of failing. What's important here is that we consider both emotional and social development in order to help young people succeed. In secondary settings, you may be reliant on a pupil support teacher or guidance teacher keeping you updated about an individual child. However, really getting to know a young person will help you establish how you can communicate and build in suitable approaches and activities to help them learn missed skills and early experiences. It's difficult to quantify here just how to go about integrating missed early experiences on an individual level as every young person will be different. However, there are some practical things you can do to help learners who have missed some of these key developmental milestones. First of all, let's consider what we might do if we realise that a child or young person is struggling to give purposeful attention. They may be seen as a daydreamer or they might struggle to follow instructions. You may have realised that a young person is reluctant to take part in things or can't understand your expectations. If this is the case, there are many strategies you can consider trying in order to encourage these pupils to participate. Always use the child's name, for example, when addressing them and repeat their name subtly throughout your explanation of the task to ensure you have and maintain their full attention. By using both visual and auditory cues such as pictures, class timers and the interactive whiteboard tools, you can supplement and reiterate what it is you're expecting of them. 
or by having others in the group or class explain back to you what it is you've asked for allows for that extra processing time and gives a second chance for it to be heard without highlighting or embarrassing individuals. Using positive commentary and highlighting those who are working well for you will also help maintain those wanted behaviours. For the early years, some physical prompts, such as having individual cushions or spots to sit on, can improve children's attention as they'll have their own space with fewer distractions. Now, let's consider those who really struggle to function alongside their peers. These pupils may appear to take over an activity or indeed have no interest at all in what you've set up for them. What can be done for those learners who are unable to participate in lessons in a constructive manner? To help encourage our pupils to participate constructively, we need to bring the learning to life. This is when multi-sensory activities, hands-on experience and practical tasks can help. Organising school visits to local places, having regular current affairs lessons, incorporating STEM resources into lessons or facilitating experiments can help increase a child's curiosity and make them aware of what's going on in the world around them. Both TESS and the BBC websites have a good bank of resources to help you facilitate these. A child with good organisational skills will find it easier to participate constructively in class, but where young people struggle, it might be helpful to equip pupils with a stationary toolbox containing highlighters, pens, rulers and post-it notes etc. This can aid learners' organisation and can boost their confidence. In this next section, we'll consider some strategies for when you have learners in your class who struggle to connect up experiences. Keeping tasks short, achievable and instructions brief with you as the teacher managing the time for each task helps to enhance their success in activities because you're not overloading them with too many choices and then a huge amount of time to complete something. Some young people will benefit from limited choices. Giving too much choice can be very overwhelming, but giving just a couple can be empowering. Always remember to give positive praise to pupils for each completed incremental, as staff encouragement really does go a long, long way. Not forgetting reward charts, stickers and notes home for when you do catch those glimmers of good, as all these can help provide that instant recognition for what it is they've done really well. When a child is struggling to connect up experiences, it can suggest that their language is underdeveloped. Practitioners might want to make a point of explaining idioms and ensuring that the child understands fully the language that's been used. Don't ever assume that a child knows what you mean. Often they'll sit there and be quite accepting of what they've heard, but not understand you. Things like conversation starter cards, strength cards and social stories can be a great help for this. There are some excellent freely available resources online, such as the social stories on the SEN resource page. So let's now think about how we can help children to become insightfully involved. What we mean by this is that some children may have trouble making sustainable friendships. They might be very controlling, easily led, or indeed very passive. Either way, how can we help them make the right decisions in difficult moments? Mm -hmm. 
Firstly, it's important to develop emotional literacy. And there are lots of books on the market, but even talking about relationships and feelings with your pupils and then reflecting on how everyone feels can help. Promoting resilience is something we discussed in episode one. And it's also relevant here, as it will help empower your pupils to learn how to overcome situations. Another thing you can do is model problem-solving strategies, and that's consequently teaching children how to overcome difficult situations. A lovely activity you can facilitate is to allow children to tell and write stories about their friends as superheroes. This is a playful and inclusive activity, which early years practitioners might especially enjoy facilitating. So let's now turn to engagement with peers. You may have observed that group situations are tricky for some, or in playful situations you may have noticed that some of your learners find it difficult to interact or play with their peers. So what can we do to help these learners? Collaborative group work where everyone will need to be involved in order for it to be successful is a great way to encourage children to engage with their peers. Why not set up a stall and sell a product, for example, giving each child a specific role and responsibility? Do be prepared to teach the basic skills required for the activity. For example, if they have to be the seller, which will involve them giving change for an item, then practice the exact amounts and combinations they could be faced with. Creating these types of activities, where the conversation is the primary focus, provides experiences of role play to allow a child to develop their communication skills. The Block-Based Therapy Programme is another excellent resource for this, where the success lies in the process and the child's efforts within the session, and not the end product that they build. Other paired barrier games such as Battleships, Knots and Crosses or Guess Who will also help to improve a child's instructional language skills, which should ultimately help to increase their confidence and help them to interact purposefully with others. Everything we've discussed so far is based upon the foundation developmental strands of the Boxall Profile. Only once these are in place can we then start to think about teaching further skills and encouraging our children to become involved in everyday learning activities. teaching and learning then and how we go about teaching all children with developmental age in mind no matter how old they are or which setting they attend. Let's say we've planned a reading lesson. Where do you start? We couldn't really talk about this without including something known as Zone of Proximal Development or ZPD. So in simple terms some things have already been learnt. A young person knows how to do this skill easily on their own. Then there's learning which is super hard, it's a challenge for the young person, it would be like trying to teach a newborn baby to drive a car. Then there's the ZPD, that's the bit as practitioners we're aiming for, that's the bit that's our target. We want young people to learn something new, but we don't want to overface them or overwhelm them. So we begin teaching within their ZPD, but first we have to scaffold learning, so they become independent at it. The ZPD then moves and the particular skill or task you've been teaching them becomes something they can achieve independently. So if we now think about scaffolding, how do we do this? 
We need to think of it in stages. What we're aiming to do here is to build momentum so eventually your pupils will be able to complete the activity independently. Firstly, we have to break the task down into manageable chunks so that we're not asking too much of a young person in one go. For example, in your reading lesson, you might teach a child some keywords within a text so that when you come to read it all the way through, everyone is familiar with the more complex and unfamiliar vocabulary. Secondly, you might want to think about modelling how to do something. Children absorb and mirror adults around them much, much more than we realise. If we're continuing with this idea of the reading lesson, you could, for example, write some key sentences from the text on the board and demonstrate how to analyse these. Finally, you may also wish to highlight and remind them of previous learning from another lesson, such as figurative language in this instance. By doing this, you're trying to encompass the children's strengths and give them the confidence in their own ability by building upon things that they already know. Slowly, you may then want to let the learners do little bits of work on their own. Using a framework as guidance, with you offering suggestions and support as you move through the activity together. All the time you're taking a little piece away of your input to build their independence. And of course, this may run on for much longer than one lesson. So what we're saying here is to work out where a child is developmentally, look at their ZPD and then scaffold learning to build up their skills and their independence. As they become increasingly confident and they're able to complete their activity, whether that be a reading lesson similar to the one we've just discussed, or zipping up their own coat, the principles still remain the same. Of course, an activity like zipping up a coat or tying shoelaces, for example, might also require a practical demonstration, which is something else you can do when you're scaffolding learning. Showing a child how to do something can be much more powerful than just an explanation. Okay, as promised, again, we've included lots of information into a fairly short episode, so we're now going to give you three top takeaway tips in relation to our second principle, learning is understood developmentally, and this will help you in your everyday practice. Tip one, think stage, not age. This is applicable to all pupils and to all learning. You shouldn't make assumptions based on a child's physical appearance or the year they're in at school. Tip two, remember that social and emotional development is as, if not more, important as academic development. Tip three, work out our child's zone of proximal development and then practice scaffolding learning. Also remember that everyone's ZPD is not fixed, it moves the more that we learn. often are very good at differentiating for academic abilities. So we now must try to do the same for those with social and emotional difficulties. Thank you so much for listening and do remember that nurture is a way of being.